Well, I want to welcome you to part two of a three-part message series uh, called the, the Sons of Issachar. And if you weren't here last week or you, you missed last week, I would really encourage you, go online to ecwesleyan.net or go onto iTunes. You can find us on there. Listen to last week's message. It was entitled, Don't Panic, uh, to get a little bit more context about what we're talking about here this morning. But just so that, so that we're not we're on the same page and nobody is lost here this morning, morning. Uh, uh, last week we talked, uh, we took a, a snapshot and uh, two different snapshots in the history of one of the 12 tribes of Israel and we looked at a huge mistake that they were a part of that cost Israel years and years of wandering in the desert all because they panicked and forgot who God was in the midst of controversy and uncertainty. But if you fast forward into their history, into the history of the sons of Issachar, we find this written about them in 1 Chronicles 12.32. It says this, there were 200 captains of the sons of Issachar. They understood the times and had much understanding of what Israel should do. They, had, they understood the times and had much understanding of what Israel should do and all their brothers obeyed them. And the reason why this is so important, the reason why we're taking three Sundays to talk about this is because our responses, whether it's a response to culture, whether it's a response to uh, social media or a response to our circumstances, a response to the things that are going on around us, our responses will either serve as a cautionary tale or a guidepost for future generations. Make no mistake, people are watching the church. How we respond to our culture often dictates how our culture perceives Christians and the Christ that we represent. And let's face it, we've done a really terrible job in the past with this. But I believe that God is sounding a call for his church to understand the times, to understand the, the setting that we're in, and to know what to do with that, and to actually go do that. And this process starts as we place our trust in God, focusing on Him instead of panicking. So, so where do we go next? Where do we go from, from there? Well, this morning we're going to dive back into Acts chapter 17. As I uh, shared with you guys last week, we, we're kind of in this like mid-series lull where we haven't quite finished up talking through the book of Acts, and we're going to get to it, um, but it's going to come a little bit later. Uh, but we're going to dive back into the book of Acts, into the, uh, the story of the early church, into chapter 17. If you're using the Bible in the uh, pew in front of you, it's going to be on, chapter, or on um, page 899. It's also going to be on the screen. And uh, we're going to be revisiting the same portion of scripture that Pastor Mark talked about on February the 26th in a message entitled, uh, Who is Our God? Uh, we're going to be taking a little bit of a broader look at the, the chapter as a, as a whole. And, and through it, we're going we're gonna to discover some, some truths about engaging our culture, how to do it, and what we can expect as a result. Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter for you here this morning. I'm going to, we're going to break this up in a couple of different sections. The sections that I'm not going to read, basically all you need to know is it's like, it's like the Hamburglar section of the Bible where it's just rabble, rabble, rabble. Anybody old enough to remember the Hamburglar? All right, fantastic. All right, so yeah, it's just, just rabbling and noise that's going on here. You can go back and read it. All right, so, so starting in, in uh, verse one of chapter 17. When Paul and his companions 
passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Messiah had to suffer and, be, and rise from the dead. This Jesus I proclaim to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and formed a mob and started a riot in the, in the city. Like I said, rabble, rabble, rabble. It's the Hamburglar section. All right, skipping down to verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away from, from there to Berea, on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogues. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul had to say was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Here comes the Hamburglar again. But when Jews in Thessalonica learned of Paul, that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, some of them went too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Rabble, rabble, rabble. All right, skipping down to verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they, they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that, you, that you're presenting to us? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived with them spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see in every way you're very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant about the very thing you worship and that's what I'm gonna proclaim to you. The, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he, does not, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he began all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him though he is not far from us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since, God, since we are God's offspring, we should not think of the divine being like, like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human hands, by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by his appointed man. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. 
Some of the people followed Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and also Damaris, a, member, a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So here we get a glimpse into the mission of a religious rebel. To give you some background, to remind you a little bit of the history here, Paul was a student of one of Israel's most recognizable teachers of the day. And he was a Roman citizen. So he had this pedigree that really set him up for success in that culture. But all of that changed when a rebel from Nazareth stepped onto the scene and challenged an empire. This rebel named Jesus talked about God like he could actually be known. He told stories using points of references that that people would understand describing a new kingdom. He challenged the notion that religious duty and ritual was what God demanded by explaining the spirit of the law. He shook up the complacency of leadership by unveiling their motivations behind their leading. He was even so audacious that he healed the sick on the Sabbath. He associated with sinners and tax collectors. He redeemed prostitutes and he called outcasts to follow after him and to carry on his teachings. And to Paul and his associates, this Jesus had to go. They tried to kill him, but but it didn't take. And all around there were stories of his resurrection and into this preposterous place, Paul, then called Saul, made it his mission to hunt down every last voice of dissent and silence them. But a funny thing happened when Jesus, who Paul thought was dead, appeared to him and changed the course of his life. And so now it's Paul with a new name and a fresh faith that's using the stylings of Jesus. He's using the teachings of Judaism and and local culture to prove Jesus' divinity and to make him known. And in this text, there's this pattern of Paul that, that uh, Paul goes to these cities and, and, and it goes a little bit something like this. Paul would go to where people were at, he would speak in their language, shake the people up, and then move on or get thrown out or have his life threatened or get beaten or something like that. Um, interesting fact, um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you'd think like after the first time that that, that, that would happen to him that he'd be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Um, but uh, Paul actually went on like three missionary journeys or three missions journeys where he stopped in multiple cities, planted multiple churches or like went back and visited some of the churches that he planted. This is actually on trip number two. So this is not his first rodeo with this. So, so how, does this understand, uh, how does this help us in our, in our journey to understand the times and, and know what to do? Well, today we're going to be framing in the conversation with some tools that you can use in both understanding and engaging our culture. As we begin this conversation, there are three truths about understanding our culture that we, we must recognize Three truths to engaging our culture. Uh, Truth number one is is this, or letter A. We are a people called to holiness in a cynical culture of shifting norms. We're a people called to holiness in a cynical culture of, of shifting norms. We live in this constant tension as Christians. We live in this constant tension of people who are called to be holy or set apart as God is holy. 
in a world that keeps moving the goalposts, the, the boundaries keep moving further and further away from, from God's original design for this world. And it isn't that our world is becoming more atheistic in, in ideology, it's just that it's becoming a little bit more atheistic in praxis. Let me put it like this. Uh, James Emery White writes a book uh, called Generation Z that, uh, and explains that our world is experiencing what he calls a second fall. He says it like this. The first fall led to God's expulsion of human beings from the Garden of Eden. The second fall was when we returned the favor. The first fall was when, when we made a choice to break relationship with God and we experienced the consequences of it. The second fall is when we decided, hey, you know what? You get consequences too. We live in a, in a culture that, that kind of operates where like everybody's kind of autonomous. Like there's, there's no assumption or there's zero assumption or consideration that there's any higher authority other than the self and that we are kind of our compass of, of authority for truth, let alone you know, there's, there's no real acknowledgement of, of a sovereign God even in the mix of that. But because of this, we must always be conscious that the message of the gospel never changes. But how we communicate it must. I want you to hear me a second. The message of the gospel, what is the gospel? Gospel literally means good news. It is, it is that, that God who created and breathed, breathed life into us created this existence that we have for us to be able to enjoy him in that in all of that, that even in all of that, when we said no, when we wanted our own way, when we pushed him away, he still actively pursued us, sending his son to us. Not only that, but repairing that damage between us and him through the death and resurrection of his perfect son to pay our debts. That's good news. That will never change. But how we communicate it must. Here's what I mean by that. In the past, in the past as, as a church, we've saw droves of people who responded to evangelistic crusades of Billy Graham. We saw the effectiveness of community vacation Bible schools, neighborhoods canvassed by door-to-door -door evangelism, Sunday school created to keep kids off the street, and the list goes on and on and on. And somewhere along the lines, we got the notion that like, hey, this thing is working. Let's keep doing that. And let's keep doing it until Jesus returns. And much like an Advil or, or at every sign of like an ache or pain, there's kind of a diminishing return. Over time, the effectiveness waned. And I don't want you to mishear me. Like, I, I believe that God inspires each generation for the task that they have of sharing this good news to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us to make disciples, to go into all the world, make disciples in the spirit of the great commandments, in, in a spirit of love for God and a spirit of love for people. We just can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same result. That's kind of like the, it's almost the definition of insanity, right? Like, you know, we're, we're doing the same thing over and over again and we're like, yeah, you know, this is gonna, this is gonna do, this is gonna be it. But I believe that God calls every generation of his church to be innovators, to get creative with how we share, with how we proclaim this good news to our world. And in order for us to kind of take up that charge of the sons of Issachar, we must not only, un we must understand the times before we can do anything about it. And I have to tell you that it's gonna get messy, 
Because letter C, the church cannot afford to ignore our culture any longer. The church cannot afford to ignore our culture any longer. Last week I made a joke uh, to make a point uh, about the, church, our, the church's response to, to culture and how we you know, freak out at any type of sign of controversy. But the truth is that our ignorance of our culture has and will continue to damage the church and its influence and effectiveness. Uh, Walt Mueller puts it like this. Walt Mueller runs an organization out of Pennsylvania called the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding and also writes about engaging, uh, engaging the culture. And he says this, he says, in, in today's media-dominated culture, media avoidance and ignorance invites irrelevance that can spell disaster. Let me say that again. In today's media-dominated culture, media avoidance and ignorance invites irrelevance that can spell disaster. What, is, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it looks like. Let me tell you the story, a story about Kristen. Uh, as a young girl, Kristen enjoyed video games. She reveled in immersive stories and relatable characters and, 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 and experienced strong emotions as, uh, as she would, uh, during moments of these stories where she would listen to the musical scores. And as she got older, Kristen had an encounter with Jesus and started to attend church. When word got out about Kristen's favorite hobby, she was confronted by a woman in her church condemning her, her hobby as a tool of the devil without realizing that she had been drawing correlations between what she was experiencing in her games and what she was discovering to be true about Jesus. I heard Kristen's story two years ago and I gotta tell you, it nearly broke my heart. Um, I, I launched a, a podcast along with a friend of mine a, about life, God, and video games and and, and Kristen, shortly after we began this, commented on one of our, on one of our podcasts about this and, and shared her story. And I'm grateful to know that those experiences of hers did not push her out of the church, but I know her story is not an isolated one. There are many who have lost faith or have avoided Christianity altogether because we've historically done a disservice to people around us by, ha by not having good conversations about things that are going on in our culture. And, but this is where there's hope. There's, there's hope because we too can learn to have those same type of conversations like Paul had in Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. So how do we do this? This seems like a little bit of an overwhelming task. How do we, get, how do we engage our culture without getting sucked into it? How do we be in the world but not of it? To answer that question, we're actually going to borrow a tool from Walt Mueller called the 3D approach. On the back of your, your, uh, your, uh, your handout here this morning, there's going to be some of the, the comments and questions and stuff like that that we're going to roll through here. And this is, this, I didn't want you to like have to write all these things down, but, and this is not an exhaustive list, but this is like a, a beginner's, like if you want a starting point, this is a good starting point. But um, this is something that we can start practicing. But before we get there, um, I need to offer a few disclaimers. Disclaimer number one is that this will make you uncomfortable. It will make you uncomfortable because it will force you to look into dark, broken, and messy situations. Anytime that you engage the culture around you, you will find brokenness. 
you, you will find things that are messed up. You'll find things that are messy that don't make sense. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. Disclaimer number two is you should always approach every form of, of media and any engagement like this with much prayer, asking for God's understanding and his wisdom for him to give you his eyes and his heart as you approach these things. It's hard to get frustrated in a situation. It's hard to, to experience that like err towards a person when you realize that there's somebody that's created in God's image. When you remember that they're a person that, dear, that is dearly loved by God, that Jesus went to the cross for that person. Disclaimer number three is you should never, 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 hear me out here, you never, 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 never cross lines of biblical absolutes your personal convictions or areas of weakness solely for understanding. I would, be, I would be amiss if I did not give this disclaimer because each of us struggles with different things. Each of us has, has different temptations in different areas. And you know the ugliness of those things. You know, you know where, where, where you've come from or maybe even what you struggle with right now. Don't take this as permission just to go into something like that. And if you find yourself in the middle of like trying to discover and trying to figure out like how do, how do I engage my culture? How do I engage people in, in my neighborhood? If you, come into, in you, if you come into that and you start experiencing temptation, bring somebody alongside of you in that. Um, bring somebody alongside that can help you kind of make sense of that, that can keep you accountable in that. Like don't go this alone. Okay, now that those disclaimers are out of the way, point number two, how to engage our culture. This is, we're gonna look at the 3D approach. This is from Walt Mueller's book, How to Use Your Head to Guard Your Heart. Letter A, we, we discover. In the discovery phase, we evaluate the origin, authenticity, accuracy, bias, and distortion of information and ideas. We determine what type of media we're evaluating. Uh, is it presented as commentary, history, fiction, poetry, entertainment, or satire? What worldview is being presented through this medium? Like what lenses is the creator, the author, the artist, what lenses are they, are they communicating through? And, and, and kind of importantly along with this too is, is what lens am I looking at it through? How am I viewing this thing? What's my worldview as I approach this material? And who is the artist? What's their background? What are their experiences? What experiences do they bring to the table that have caused them to create whatever this thing is? And then letter B, we discern. We, we evaluate what we've learned through the discovery step and we evaluate it in light of God's word. Christians, this is, this is our lens. This is the, these, these are kind of the goggles that we view the world through. We, we view the, the, uh, the world through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of Jesus. We look at people as Jesus would look at people. We look at, at circumstances the way that Jesus would look at circumstances. Everything that we do, every way that we respond should be through the filter of Scripture. And so as we evaluate stuff, we need to kind of sift things through with that. Pay attention to how the Bible speaks about these attitudes, values, behaviors, beliefs, and worldview elements. Learn to discern fact from fiction. And recognize how media affects you. You know, we're, we're all impacted by different things. 
Some of us are, are impacted by the things that we hear. Some of us are more impacted by the things that we see. Some of us are, are more impacted by the, the experiences or the circumstances. Recognize what impacts you and don't, and, 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 and don't, mistake the, don't make a mistake in thinking that you're not impacted by things. You are. It's, I mean, it's, it's why, like, if you're, if you're working out, like, you want something that's a good, motivating, ah, you know, sort of tune, you know, where if you're trying to relax, you're going to listen to something a little bit more calming. You're, we're, we're affected by this. It's, it's, Walt kind of describes uh, our culture as kind of like a stew. Like, if you've ever made a stew, like, the, the flavors in the stew kind of start bleeding into each other. Like that, that uh, you know, that, that everything in there kind of is, is impacting each other apart. And we have to recognize that that's a thing. So recognize the stew that, that you're, you're kind of dipping your toes into. That sounds gross. Who would want to eat a stew like that? <laughs> Sorry. It's Pastor Damien Brain for you. All right, letter C. We, uh, then we decide. Moving on. Uh, we decide. Um, now that we have all of this information, like, what do we do with it? Like, how do we respond to it? What kind of conversations come out of this? Like, what, what do I do next now that I know this? Like, information is one of those things. Like, we have a lot of information. We probably have the most access to information in our culture that we have ever had. So now that we have this, what do we do with it? Well, we make an informed decision based on what we discovered and what we discerned out of Scripture. And then another good consideration in this is is as I'm evaluating the content of of the things that I'm engaging with, is it, like, if, if it's something that's presented as art, is it actually good art? Like, do we know how to distinguish that? Uh, Francis Schaeffer, uh, he, he has this book called Art in the Bible, and he, and he writes about these four standards for artistic judgment. There's technical excellence, validity, intellectual content, or the worldview that it came through, and uh, integration of the content in the vehicle. I, I really wish that I could, I could spend more time in kind of unpacking some of those things. Um, but, but he does highlight that, um, very interestingly, just a little bit of a sidebar here, that, that Christians can make Christian art. Christians can make non-Christian art. Non-Christians can make non-Christian art. Non-Christians can make Christian art, and both of them can make bad art. And it's our responsibility as, as people who are in relationship with a creative and artistic God that we recognize one from the other. Paul would later share this statement in Philippians 4.8, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And, and friends, this is a, something that we practice. Like this is not like a, like a one and done thing. Like you don't just kind of like walk through this once and you're like, hey, I'm done with it. I, I can just kind of shelve that and, and be done with that. But this is kind of part of us engaging our mind to worship God. We think critically. We go beyond the surface. And it's crucial for us to develop and, and adopt like a, a literacy with, evaluation, with evaluating our culture and, and develop uh, evaluation skills because it's going to inform us. It's going it's to shape us. It's going to empower us to communicate the message of Jesus in a language that our culture understands. We have to remember that in every situation in Acts 17, Paul went to where people were at. He went to where people were at. He He spoke in a language that they would understand. He used their art, their writings, their culture to put the beauty of Jesus on display. Just like Jesus did. 
with his parables and teachings. So what can we expect when we engage with our culture, when we, when we seek to understand the times, when we seek to understand the stew, understand where you are, what can we expect? Well, we find five different things in this passage. We're just going to go ahead and touch on each one of these very briefly. Letter A is sharp criticism. You'll always find the Hamburglar crowd. You'll always find rabble, rabble, rabble. There'll be some people from the, from the outside that'll say, you know, too little, too late. There'll be some very, very sharp critique from the inside too, unfortunately. Several years ago, uh, I'm gonna kind of get off notes here a second. Um, Several years ago, a guy by the name of Craig Gross, uh, he, he started an organization called Triple X Church. And it's an organization that's received a lot of critique, a lot of criticism. Because the mission of Triple X Church is to take the good news of Jesus Christ into the adult film industry. To go into a very, very, very dark place. To let people know that Jesus loves even them. At some of these expos and some of these gatherings, they would even hand out Bibles that on the front of the Bibles it says, Jesus loves porn stars. And it was met with sharp criticism, sharp critique. But they're willing to take a dare. They're willing to take a dare to go into a dark place to share love, to share value. I remember listening to an interview with a, with a young lady that they had talked to. And she said, I never experienced, I would have never expected to hear that from the church. I would have never, experienced, I would have never expected to experience that from the church because every time I walk into one of these places, there's always somebody that's yelling at me and telling me that I'm less than. And there was somebody that was walking with Jesus that said, God loves you so much. Even right where you are right now and he desires so much for you. When you engage your culture like that, you're going to be met with sharp criticism from within and from without. Letter B, there will be thoughtful critique. There will be some who will want to process this a little bit. They'll dig a little bit deeper. Luke writes in, in Acts here, he calls them noble in character because they, they received it with eagerness and they searched it out to make sure that it was true. Let her see, there will be some that will dismiss you. They'll say, this is irrelevant. This has nothing to do with me. What, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Why should we go out there? Why should we do anything beyond these walls? There'll be some that will think, why would you do anything outside of these walls? Letter D, there will be conversations of explanation. Some people will want to know more. Why would, you, why would you do that? Why would an organization like Triple X Church that, has no, that, would, that, 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 that takes the church into a place that has nothing to do with the church, why would you do that? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. There will be some conversations. Letter E, there will also be some salvations. There were those who were saved, who came to know Jesus through this audacious conversation. 
You know, think about this conversation in Athens. Like Paul noticed that they were a very religious city. He noticed their idols. He noticed their, their works. The, he noticed like how religious that they were. And he could have gone in there like just guns blazing and just raked them over the coals because he was given the opportunity to speak. And he says, hey, I, I see you're very religious. Let me tell you the thing that you don't know in this. And I'm going to use your art. I'm going to use your idols. I'm going to use your, your writings. And we're going to talk about this. And church, this is, this is something that, that we're not going to get right overnight. And, and really, like this conversation here today, this is a conversation starter. Like this is not all there is to this conversation. I mean, we could, we could talk for years and years about the best way that we can do this to engage our culture, but we have to start now. We, we, we have to start now doing this. Because as we, as this is like the first crucial step in, in teaching us how to understand our times and live and proceed in the most God-honoring and effective ways possible. If you've ever tried to learn a foreign language, it takes years and years to master. But if you've ever been in a culture where you've tried to, to speak their language and you've taken the time to learn their language, a lot of times people are very grateful that you would take the time to do that and they're gracious with you. This is really like a lost art. But the future of the church depends on it. And it depends on us learning to speak the language of our neighbors in order to be able to effectively communicate the good news. So what's next? So the next story that you read, the next show that you watch, the next podcast you listen to, the next video game that you play, the next internet site you browse, the next song you hear, dig deeper, be more attentive. Seek out how God might be a part of taking that thing, that part of our culture, and leveraging it for his purposes. Because when you do, you'll join ranks of people like Paul and like the sons of Issachar and like Jesus himself as raiders of the lost art. Let's pray. God, we want to take a minute and recognize that this is something that we can't do on our own, that we 